Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? That's what's known as a rhetorical question. In other words, where the answer is obvious. What is the obvious answer to the question, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? That was the going rate for sparrows in the marketplace at that time. Immediately after that, he said, and even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Pastor Josh doesn't make that difficult for him. But you have to decide, as Pastor said, do you believe the book? That God knows you that intimately. You must also know that you're not here by accident. But you're here on divine appointment this morning. I love that song. He is here. And you are here. And he is here to minister to your need and to speak to you. It's been my privilege to share God's Word now in more than a hundred countries of the world, and I marvel when I look back at God's overshadowing providence, at where He puts us at a particular point in time and a particular place. I was scheduled a number of years ago to preach in London on a Sunday morning, or rather it was really early sun Sunday afternoon. And uh, my wife was with me and some friends. We had traveled to London, and my secretary had put in my little notebook. It was before smartphones. And in my little travel notebook was the telephone number of the pastor, Pastor Gabriel Yi, a Chinese brother from Singapore. On Saturday morning, I tried to call him. I dialed the number. It rang in a voice I hadn't heard answered. And I said, is Pastor Yi there? They said, no, you have the wrong number. Hung up. I thought I'd misdialed, dialed again. Same voice came. I said, have you had this number long? Yes, for 10 years. Don't bother me again. So I gave up. I looked up. I tried in the yellow pages, looked in the newspaper. It was a new congregation. It had only been there for a year or so. I had preached there a year before. There were about 80 people in a basement room where they met in central London. Was not able to find the any way to connect. I couldn't call Singapore at that time, couldn't call home, couldn't get them. I found out later, by the way, my secretary had typed an eight instead of a zero. One digit wrong. Close does not count in telephone numbers. I had heard about a church. I couldn't get there, and so I heard about another church and went out in a, this church in Kensington. It was called Kensington Temple. About 1,500 people there. Ruth and I were seated in the center part. A few rows back. There was no center aisle. At the conclusion of that service, the worship leader dismissed, and I turned to go out to the side aisle and just glanced back, and in the back doorway, my eyes fell on one man who was standing in the back doorway. His eyes met mine, and then he started to wave at me. And I went, and he went, I went back and I said, who are you? My name is Frank. I said, where are you from, Frank? I'm from Poland. I said, I've never been to Poland. How do you know me? Last year you preached in Star Street. God really blessed my life. I said, Star Street? That's where the church is I'm supposed to be speaking at in just a half an hour. Do you know where that is? He said, I'm on my way there right now. Now, what happened was, Frank had never been to Kensington Temple in his life. He was on his way to Calvary Charismatic Center on the subway, they called the tube, got hungry, he was early, decided to get off and have breakfast, got off at the very next stop, which was Kensington, went up into a little cafe, had his breakfast, was paying for his meal, when across the street, he heard singing walked across the street, stepped in the back doorway of Kensington Temple just as the service was dismissed. And as I turned to the side, his eyes out of 1,500 people landed on me, one of only 80 people that I had preached to a year before recognized me in time to get me where I was supposed to preach 
30 minutes from then, isn't that lucky? As I was preaching, I got there, Gabriel was trying, I was late, the worship had already started, then Gabriel was trying to put a sermon together. He was so relieved to see me, and then when I got up to preach, I had prepared a message. But you see, a couple of days before, we had been to the Blenheim Palace, if you've heard of that, where Sir Winston Churchill was born, and it came to my mind, and the scripture came to me. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And I thought of that palace, and I began to talk about, I had never planned on it, never spoken on it before or since, I began to talk about the architecture of heaven. And I remembered saying to myself, get off this architecture kick. And I said, you know, Sir Christopher Wren, who was the architect of St. Paul's Cathedral, could not imagine the architecture of heaven. Do you, don't you believe the architecture of heaven will surpass anything we have seen on earth? Well, then I continued, gave at the conclusion of the message a salvation invitation. A dignified-looking woman in a business suit stepped out and came forward, one person. I said to her, have you known the Lord before? She said, no, I have never been to church in my life. I said, I want to make sure you understand the decision you're making. I said, do you understand what you're doing? She said, no, I don't, but I really need to do this. Do you know that you can know you really need to do it and not understand? I said, I want you to understand. I said, Pastor Gabriel, would you explain to this sister, her name was Eunice, what it means to follow Christ? I went and prayed for some others was, uh, that I had invited for different means of prayer and got down at the end. There was a, a young Chinese gentleman stand, standing right on the end of the pew. He was all excited and wired. He said, Pastor, Pastor. And I came and he said, do you know who that woman is? I said, of course I don't. He said, she is a professor at the university where I attend. I have been witnessing to her for months. I have invited her to come again and again to church. She has always refused. I told her, this Sunday, an American is coming who spoke here a year ago. He'll only be here this Sunday. Will you please come and hear him? She finally relented and said, I will come this one time, but don't ever ask me again. And I would have missed preaching to that woman because a secretary typed an eight instead of a zero. But God is bigger than a secretarial mistake. Do you know that God is still in control and guides when things go wrong? He said, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one falls to the ground apart from the Father. The implication is his knowledge and his care. A sparrow worth half a penny that's what he says in Matthew. But if you go to Luke, he tells a similar story. It was in a different circumstance. Gives a very similar illustration. And in that case, Jesus says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Now do the math. It's a rhetorical question. The going rate in the market at that time was two sparrows for a penny or five sparrows for two. Quantity discount. Or buy two pairs of sparrows and get one free. Hello? Are you with me? Let me see your hands. I can't tell by your faces. I want you to think about that fifth sparrow. Oh, you're going to buy two pairs. Now, what one is he going to throw in for free? The plump, pretty one or the little scrawny one? You can have this one for nothing. The owner of the sparrows did not even value that sparrow half a penny. And Jesus said, even that sparrow God knows and cares about. 
Some of you feel like a fifth sparrow. You're the one in the family didn't get the best grades. You weren't the athlete. I'm here to tell you the Heavenly Father knows you, values you, loves you, cares about you. He cared about Eunice enough to guide me in that miraculous way out of 8 million people in London. I checked with Siri before the service. More than 8,200,000 people and out of all of those people, Frank finds me in time to get me to share the word of God with one woman who was only going to be in church one day of her life. Turn with me to Acts chapter 27. Verse 20. Paul said, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, some of you have storms in your life. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Man, you should have taken my advice. That was, I'm surely, very popular. Man, you should have listened to me. Then you would have been spared. You would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Now how did he know that? Last night, I love this, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. In other words, I've got a plan for you, and this isn't part of it, for you to perish. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Listen, if you're going to get in a storm, get in a boat with someone God has business for. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God, that it will happen just, I like the way the New American Standard translates that Greek word, not just, just as he told me, exactly as he told me. Do you believe that when God speaks, you can count on it exactly as he said it? I want to talk to you this morning about essential keys to God's divine guidance in your life. Notice what he said when he was, Paul, when he is describing the angel, described the angel in the context of his relationship with the God who sent the angel. An angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve told me this. May I tell you that's the first essential key to God's guidance in your life. That the God is the God whose you are. You are his possession. Let me put it in terms that they used to give us when I was a kid in youth camp. They used to preach this. Remember this, Dan? Sell out to God, young people. What does that mean? Let me put it this way. When I graduated from Bible college, I moved to Kenosha, Wisconsin, my wife's hometown, home of the Rambler car at that time, and jockey underwear until this day. I patronized both those companies. The underwear was a lot better than the car. <laughs> Anyone ever have a Rambler? Let me see your hands. You had one, Dan. In five months, I put three transmissions into that thing. I sold it. Less than a year after I bought it for two-thirds what I paid for it, when that car went rolling down the street, it was one of the best days of my life. How many of you have ever sold a problem to somebody? Because some, when something is no longer your property, it's no longer your problem. Hello? When you belong to God... You are no longer your own problem. You're his problem. 
the God whose I am. You see, if you're wanting God's guidance in your life, I can tell you this. I promise you, if you want to ascertain from God what his will is for you as an option to consider, don't even come back tonight because you're wasting your time. God will not reveal his will to you as an option to consider. My son Russ, when he started college, went one semester to Evangel University, then a semester to Southwest Missouri State, then another semester to Evangel, played musical universities, then back to Southwest Missouri State, changing, changing majors every semester. After two, two years, he came to me and said, Dad, I need to get on with my life. I said, yeah, that's a good idea. You're 20 now. When I was your age, I was holding your brother Raleigh in my arms. I said, what do you want to do with your life? I don't know. Well, what does God want you to do? I don't know. Have you asked him? Yes. What did he say? Nothing. I said, have you told him you'll do it? He said, how can I do that? He hasn't told me what he wants. I said, let me explain it, son. First with God, first you tell him you'll do it, then he tells you what he wants. He said, that's not fair. <laughs> I said, that's the way it is. How many of you know that's the way it is? I said, I promise you, you tell God you'll do what he wants, he'll tell you what he wants. He said, I don't think so. I said, why? He said, I'm afraid of what he might want. I said, what do you, I said, why? He said, well, he might want me to be a preacher or something. I said, son, let me promise you, if you don't want to be a preacher, God will never make you be a preacher. Really? Yes. I said, why don't you tell him you'll do what he wants? He said, I want to think about this. Well, I'm cutting a lot out of it, and Mother's Day, my wife was the one that gave the altar call at home, and my son knelt down and said, God, I don't know what you want. Whatever it is, I'll do it. He's a preacher today. <laughs> you say, well, you say, Randy, you told me God, you told him God would never make him. I, God didn't make him. Have you ever read Philippians? Paul says, God works in you to will and to do. I'll talk about this more tonight. He doesn't make you do anything. First, he gives you the heart for it. Hello? He doesn't make you. But you have to sell out to God. Let me give you some scripture for it. Oh, everybody loves Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you. For hope, for a future. How many know that? And then they stop. But go on. And you will pray to me. You will seek me. And you will find me when, if, you seek me with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with, and lean not to your own understanding in, your ways acknowledge him. And he will what? Direct your path. You see, first, you have to give him all of your heart. Romans 12, you know it well. He also talks about your body. I urge you, brothers, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your body a living sacrifice. You know, he doesn't need many martyrs. He wants living sacrifices. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, in King James, spiritual worship. In NIV, spiritual service of worship. In New American Standard, the Greek word translated reasonable is logikane, from which we get the word logical, which is your rational. It's only logical, people, that if he died for us, that we're going to live for him. Present your body. It doesn't just mean your body. It's everything you are, body, soul, spirit, everything to him. And then what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice he didn't say heart. Mind. Faith is activated in the heart. It begins in the mind. Why? Faith cometh by hearing. You hear the word. Your mind processes the word. The spirit illumines your mind to the truth. The spirit activates faith in the heart. And even after you receive him, he keeps changing. By the way, transform that Greek word metamorpho, from which we get the word metamorphosis. 
What did you learn about metamorphosis in school? How a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, a creature that bears no resemblance to what it used to be. May I tell you that becoming God's will is not a little psychological adjustment. It's not learning to accept your identity. It is the power to become a totally new identity, a transformation from one kind of a thing to another kind of a thing that is nothing like what it used to be. You used to be a child of darkness. Now you're a child of light. You used to be a servant of Satan. Now you're a servant of the living God. Transformed. And don't be conformed to this world. Now I'll tell you in those two verses, a little bit of Greek lesson here. Punch the person next to you say, Greek grammar is exciting. How many remember grammar? Active voice, passive voice. Greek has three voices. Active, passive, and middle voice. Active voice, all three are in these two verses. Present your body is active voice. It's an imperative, but you choose to present yourself. Are you with me? Active voice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind is passive. Do you know that you don't have the power to change yourself? Only God can change you. It is passive. It is his power. But listen carefully to the middle one. The middle verb is in the middle voice. Now the middle voice is kind of active and kind of passive. You see, this is my interpretation of the middle voice. The force of the action is passive. The determination of the action is active. In other words, not being conformed to this world. Can I give you another perspective on world? Age, this age. We live in an age. We live at a point in time, in a culture. How many know the age you live in now is not the age in America you grew up in? And I will tell you, if we're going to live by the truths of God's word, being conformed to the image of Jesus, we are not going to be conformed to the fads and trends of whatever the age tells us. And don't think I'm going to get on the clothesline. Not about what you wear. Listen, I grew up where that was their big hang-up. Man, you women couldn't wear a little pearl on your ear in an Assemblies of God church when I was a kid. Now you're liberated. You can wear fishing tackle if you want. <laughs> Listen, transformation is not talking about your image it's transformed. It is a different kind of person from the inside out, not from the outside in. Don't be conformed to this world. It, the force is passive. The determination is active. In other words, to not be like the world, it's not in your power not to conform. It's only God's enablement that's going to enable you not to conform, but you're going to determine whether or not it happens. I think a better translation of this would be, don't let yourself be conformed to this world. Because do you know what you have to do to be like the world? Absolutely nothing. Because if you live in it, unless you live intentionally by the Spirit and the Word, you're going to become like it. But he says, listen, present your body a living sacrifice. Don't let yourself be conformed to this world. Be transformed completely from one kind of a thing to another kind of a thing. May I tell you, God's will has less to do with what you're doing and where you are as it is to what you are becoming. You are becoming in Jesus Christ who God ordained you to be. But if you're going to want God's guidance in your life, it begins with being his. And I, you say, well, I did that back in camp in 1958. So did I. But let me tell you a problem with living sacrifices. They keep crawling off the altar. Hello? How many know we have to keep 
coming back and saying, God, I'm yours. Keep consecrating ourselves to him. And I will tell you that in my life and Ruth's and my life together, the greatest divine interventions of God's guidance in our life didn't happen after an all-night prayer meeting or a week of fasting, obviously. It came after we, listen carefully, afresh and anew, sold out to God. Said, God, we are yours. We're your property. You work your will in us. And when you're his property, you're his problem. And you will see God's hand come down and guide and direct in your life. Things are going to go wrong. We went as missionaries to Samoa. We'd been there less than a year. A Samoan doctor examined Ruth, said that you probably have cancer. We flew back to the United States. She had surgery. After the surgery, she had complications. The doctor said, you're going to have to stay here for a year, and she's going to have to have another surgery in a year. I said, I said, but next month, I'm preaching a general council down in New Zealand. I'm preaching a crusade the week after that in Savaii Island. He said, you may be going, but your wife's not going. So it was like God took my calendar and wiped it clean. We said, God, whatever you want, you work your will in our life. And I don't have time to tell you all the details. My former professor, under whom I had done my master's degree in intercultural communication, called me up. He knew that I was going to be here in the United States for a year. He said, Randy, you know, I was talking to my professor up at the University of Minnesota. I was telling him about your knowledge of the Samoan language and their proverbs and parables for which they're famous in the intercultural communication field. And he said, you know, if... You'd like to come up to University of Minnesota and enter their graduate program during this year. He'd be happy to open the doors, make arrangements, and help you out. I said, Dell, I had a hard enough time getting out of school. I am not going back in. I'm not going to be a teacher. There's no reason. He said, Randy, the chance to study under Dr. Howell is an incredible opportunity. I said, Dell, forget it. I hung up the telephone. Ruth had heard just my half of the conversation. She said, what's that all about? I told her, Dell trying to talk me into going up to the University of Minnesota, working on a doctorate. She said, well, you know, a door just closed in our face. Did you ever think God was opening another one? Did you pray about this? I said, I didn't have to. <laughs> she said, you know, honey, there was another time we didn't know what to do. And we just put it in God's hands, and that's how God moved us to Des Moines. Remember? My mind went back. I had been a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor in Aurora, Illinois, outside Chicago. Now let me go to the next step, by the way, before I finish this story. He didn't just say the God whose I am. He said the God whom I serve. Because let me tell you, that when you're God's property, he's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. And it involves representing your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in this world and ministering to people. God's will always involves ministering to people. And I have found that not only is it important to be sold out to God, it's important to be committed to his service. He said the God whose I am and whom I serve. See, it wasn't just about where to live. It was about where to serve him. And I was a youth pastor in Aurora, Illinois, and we'd been there about 10 months. Circumstances made it appear like God was moving us on, just stirring up our nest, and the district superintendent called and said, you know, Randy, we've got two churches that need a senior pastor. And he said, I think it would be time for you to pastor your own church and I was confused because there were two options. And I was just confused. And, and nearby, there was a pastor friend of mine that was my Bible school teacher years before at CBC. And I went over and I said, Ed, you know, I'm confused. I said, the superintendent's called me. We've only been here 10 months. The superintendent's called me about two churches, need a pastor. And I said, it seems like God's moving us on, but I don't know where. And Ed said, well, Randy, let's just put it in God's hands. Leave it up to God. If God wants you to leave Aurora, that he'll have someone contact you. You don't do anything. Leave it in God's hands. Well, I didn't care. We were happy in Aurora. We didn't care if we left or not. So I went back. Ruth and I prayed. We said, God, if you want us to leave Aurora, you have someone contact us this weekend. That was Friday afternoon. Saturday morning, the telephone rang. A voice I'd never heard said, is this the youth pastor? Yes. 
He said, my name's Charles Crabtree. I pastor in Des Moines, Iowa. We need someone to help us in youth ministry here. I think you may be the man. I know it's beautiful country out there where you live. I looked out of my window at the smog in Chicago. I thought, this guy's out of his tree. He said, but you could learn. Remember that. Beautiful country out there where you live. But you could learn to like Iowa. Well, to make a long story short, we moved to Iowa, had two of the happiest years of our life in Iowa. God called us to the mission field in Iowa, turned our lives around in Iowa. Nine months after I got there, I was in the office with Pastor Crabtree, telling him about a problem, a situation we had to deal with, we were talking about. And I said, you know, Charles, we had a similar problem to that when I was in Aurora, Illinois. He said, when were you in Aurora, Illinois? I said, right before I came here. He said, you weren't in Aurora, Illinois. I said, I know where I was. He said, what were you doing there? I was a youth pastor. Then he got his eyes popped out. You weren't the youth pastor at First Assembly in Aurora, Colorado? I said, I was a youth pastor at First Assembly in Aurora, Illinois. He said, oh, my word, I've got the wrong man. Now, by the way, let me, let me give you a little tip. Listen to me. If you're God's property, you're in his service you don't need resumes. You don't need references. You don't need contacts. God will send you to some pastor that doesn't even want you. Now remember, we're praying about going to Minnesota. Ruth said, remember how I got to Des Moines? Yeah, I remember. I said, well, we've already gotten the phone call. We'd have to ask God for something else. My wife's not only pretty, she's practical. She said, if we move to Minnesota, we'll need money. I said, that's true. What do you think we're going to need? She said, I think we'll need $1,000. I said, okay, let's pray. If God wants us to move to Minnesota, he'll send us $1,000. Ruth said, let's pray. If God wants us to move to Minnesota, he'll send us $1,000 tomorrow. I said, tomorrow? It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. You know what the post office is like? Now, by the way, you know our wives are listening when we preach? She said, you preached a sermon back in Fairview Heights, Psalm 139, that God exists outside of time. He has heard all our prayers before we ever pray them, so when we pray has nothing to do with when the answer comes. I said, that's right, I did say that. <laughs> Read it in Psalm 139 when you go home. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. He's heard your prayers before you pray them. Well, I didn't care. I didn't want to move to Minnesota anyway. I'm as cold as a mother-in-law's kiss up there. I said, so I said, okay. If you want us to move to Minnesota, you send us $1,000 tomorrow. Now let me stop and tell you something else. By the way, I got lost with my rental car in Fort Worth yesterday. All the new stuff. It's in my iPhone 6 Plus. And you know what? That brilliant GPS, when I missed the exit... Recalculated. Let me tell you something, people. God's got a GPS. You say, I blew it. I messed up. He knows it. But if you're his child, you're on his GPS. He's got another exit ramp for you. He's got another. He said, I'll work all things together for good. And he has something else besides the GPS. I'll come to that in a minute. Well, so we prayed. I said, God, if you want us to move to Minnesota, you'll send us $1,000 tomorrow. Next day, the telephone, I mean the mailbox, went out the mailbox. There was a bulletin from Central Assembly and a telephone bill. I said, well, that's it. We went, did grocery shopping, stopped at my mom and dad's house, lived a block down the street from us, went in, and as we left, talked a little bit. As we were leaving... My mom said, oh, Ruth, a card came for you guys today. It looked like a get-well card, you know, that shaped envelope, not the number 10. She handed it to Ruth. It was addressed to me. Ruth had gotten hundreds of get-well cards. 
We got in our Volkswagen. We're driving up the street. She opened the get well card. <laughs> Pulled in the driveway. She handed it over to me. It was addressed to me from a man and woman, Wilbur and Mary Timmy, in Aurora, Colorado. <laughs> I promise you. They said, you were here a few weeks ago, addressed to me, and we got one of your missionary prayer cards. We've been praying for you every day after you preached. And God spoke to us today that there's something he wants you to do. And you can't do it unless you have this and put in a check for $1,000. Now, I will tell you, never before in my life, never since, have I ever received a $1,000 check from an individual in the mail except that day. God not only has a GPS, people, he has a UPS. <laughs> and when he knows you need something, he's never late. Unfortunately, very seldom is he early either. <laughs> the God whose I am and whom I serve. And I'm going to paraphrase it so you'll remember it. And then he goes on and he says to the people, yeah, the God whose I am, the God whom I serve. And he says one more thing. He says, you know, I have faith in, how many have faith in God? I have faith in God. It will turn out, New American Standard, exactly like he told me. Not only the God whose I am, the God whom I serve. The God whom I trust. If he says it, I believe it. I count on it. I depend on it. I can't explain why, but I know this. The writer of the Hebrews said this. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Yeah, you can be sold out to God. You can be in his service. But he wants you to be trusting him as your heavenly father, counting on him, depending on him. And you say, Randy, you don't know. You don't know how weak my faith is right now. You can turn to this later, but in Paul's second epistle to Timothy, I have been in the room virtually certainly where Paul wrote that epistle. In the Mamertine prison in Rome, he wrote in a prison to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, I long for you to be with me. Can you imagine that? He's in a prison cell. And he longs for Timothy. And he says, why? For I am mindful of the sincere faith it was first in your grandmother. How many had a grandmother or grandfather who had faith? Then it was in your mother. How many had a dad and mom had faith? And he said, I am sure it's in you. Now, the very fact he says, I'm sure it's in you, implies that it probably wasn't really evident. Hello? Timothy was not a great man of faith. But Paul didn't want him because he had great faith. He wanted him because he had sincere faith. Any King James people here? King James gets it a little better. NIV, New American Standard. I love them both. Use the American, New American Standard the most. King James says this. I am mindful of the unfeigned faith. Now that's not a word you use much anymore, is it? Unfeigned the reason I like that term is it has a negative prefix, and the Greek word has a negative prefix. Let me give you the Greek word, anupokrites, upokrites, from which we get the word hypocrite, an, from which we get the negative prefix, un. He means unhypocritical faith. In other words, Timothy, you may not have great faith, but you don't fake it. 
It's the real deal. Let me tell you something. Why is that so important? Jesus never said you needed great faith. All you need is a mustard seed. Just a little bit. But it's got to be the real thing. And the real thing, I can tell you this, comes from God. It's a gift of God. It's not the power of positive thinking. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the object of the faith, of sincere faith, is not in how strongly you believe something's going to happen. It's in how faithful you believe God is. Oh, you know the faith chapter, Hebrews 11. Do you know that the faith passage in Hebrews doesn't start with faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Back up to chapter 10. Where he says, hold fast your hope. For he who promised is faithful. Let me tell you, the power of your faith is not on how great your faith is. It's how great your God is. It's how faithful he is. The God whose I am. The God whom I serve. The God whom I trust. And I confess to you, I don't have time to tell you, I had a grandpa who had great faith. I had a father who had consistent faith. I don't think mine's either. But I can tell you this. I don't fake it. I don't pretend. You know what God would rather have? An ounce of sincere faith than a ton of phony faith. When I came to this responsibility that I've had for the last 17 years that allowed me to have more and more time with my dear friend, your pastor, as he's helped us produce so many missions musicals, you've heard some of the songs from him. I didn't want to come do this job, but the executive committee, and I'll talk tonight about the means God uses in our life. One of those is spiritual authority. Do you know that God guides through spiritual authority? Hello? And I'll tell you what. You don't respect spiritual authority, you're going to miss a lot of God's guidance. And this, the World Missions Executive Committee unanimously asked me to accept this responsibility. I had, I'll talk about this tonight too, circumstances that seemed to confirm it. Natural talents and abilities and gifts that seem to fit it. But you know what? You don't base a decision on those things. And I'll explain that tonight. And I just said, God, you haven't spoken to me. You know, we were singing it this morning. Do you really want God to speak to you? And I said, God, it seems like you're leading me to do this. But you know, there's, there's one thing. And I, I didn't ask for a phone call. I didn't ask for a thousand dollars. I said, God, you know, I don't know how, if I'm going to work in an office, I'm going to handle this problem that you know I have. See, I had a problem. It's a genetic problem. My father had it. My sister has it. My brother has it. Migraine headaches. I never had it on the Lord's Day. Never had it when I preached. Whenever I would preach, if it was starting, it was gone. Every time I preached, no headache. If I, preach, if I could preach all week long, I'd never have a headache. But... Other days, it blinded me. Had to be in a dark room. Couldn't take sound. Those of you that suffer from migraine headaches know what I'm talking about. It's not like a tension headache. It's debilitating, crippling. And I said, God, how can I work in an office with this? And you don't seem to have spoken to me. And God, if this is your will, I just ask one thing, that you heal these migraine headaches. I prayed that prayer in July of 1997. From July of 1997 until, what is this, March? March of 2015. I have not had one single headache. Not even a tension headache. Not a sunshine headache. Listen, it's not a formula. I'm not telling you this is a formula. I'm telling you, 
If you're God's, you're in his service, and you trust him, you have all the essential keys to open God's divine guidance to lead you step by step in your life, in his will and purpose for your life. And I close, because I hope this will help you remember it. You have a relationship with Jesus. Now, Paul in that text talked in his relation, about his relationship with God, the Father. Let's talk about Jesus. How many are following Jesus? You want to walk in God's will and you want to have his guidance. Let me give you three simple things. Believe in Jesus. When I say believe, I'm not just saying something. You trust him. You depend on him. You count on him. You believe in Jesus. Number two, you belong to Jesus. You may have made a consecrating act ten years ago. Consecrate yourself all over again. Say, Jesus, I'm yours. I belong to you. I'm your property. And number three, behave like Jesus. Live like Jesus. Do you know what he's called us to be? He has called us to be his representatives in this world to share the message of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. The God whose I am, the God whom I serve, the God whom I trust. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, Lord Jesus, you know each one who is here. Lord, you have many means of guiding us. And we'll share that tonight. God, I pray that individuals sitting here this morning will think on these three keys. Lord, some have really sold out to you. They have surrendered their will to you. But maybe they're not engaged in the service. Maybe they're not active in Bethesda, in some ministry that you want them to be involved in. And Lord, you're speaking to them to get engaged and more in service to you. Maybe they have surrendered themselves totally to you. They're engaged in your service, but their faith is weak. Lord, I pray that the faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God will well up in their heart this morning to trust you, to believe you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask about those three things. Number one, do you need to make a fresh consecration to God? I'm not going to call anyone to step out, to come forward, just right where you are in your seat. This is a heart decision. And you'll say, God, I've done it before, but I need to do it again. I need to surrender myself totally to you, to present my body a living sacrifice, to not be conformed to this world, to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. If that's you, would you just lift both of your hands up to him, offer yourself to him as a living sacrifice? Yes, yes, yes. Maybe you're here and you really have surrendered to the Lord. But God's speaking to your heart about getting engaged in service more than you are. He's been stirring your heart. He wants to use you to minister to people. If that's you, would you just lift your hands and offer yourself up to him? I'm going to serve you, Lord. I want to do whatever you want me to do. And maybe you just came this morning, weak in faith, and with the kind of a spiritual envy, you looked around you at people whose faith seemed so strong as they were singing in that wonderful worship time. You say, wish I could believe as strongly as that person next to me or my friend. May I tell you, If your faith is real, if it's sincere, even if it's just a little, if you just trust Jesus and put your faith in Him and act on that faith, 
He'll strengthen that faith and grow that faith. If that's you, would you just lift your hands up to him? Yes. For any of these three things, lift all your hands up to him. Holy Spirit, I pray that, Lord, you receive people's acts of consecration in this moment. That you receive their commitment to serve you in ministry. And whatever it is that you've put before them, or maybe they've been asked to do, but they've been reluctant. And Lord, those that need a strengthening of their faith, I just pray that the gift of faith that your Holy Spirit can impart in this moment, the faith that comes by hearing the Word of God, will strengthen within them right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. You know, people, the expression of faith is praise. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands. If you believe God is receiving what people have offered him this morning, would you just praise him? Would you just thank him? Just praise him. Just for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, I believe there are those that you want to guide and direct. Lord, they need to hear your voice. Receive your guidance. I believe, Lord, that you are putting some on a path of guidance, of fresh guidance, and I thank you in advance for what you're going to do. Please lower your hands. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you're here this morning, and you don't have the peace of God, that if you were to die today or the Lord were to return today, that you're ready to stand before him. You may have known him at one time, but you know your heart's not right with him. You need to come back to him. You need his forgiveness. Or maybe you've never received Christ as your Savior You've attended a church somewhere, but you've not personally asked Jesus to forgive your sins, come into your heart, and change your life. In either of these cases, I'd like the privilege of praying with you personally before you go this morning. If that's you, would you lift up a hand right where you are? Say, I need Jesus in my life for the first time or back in my life again. Just hold it up high, and I'll acknowledge it and pray with you before you go. We'll wait a moment for you. Yes, thank you back there. If there's someone else, yes, thank you down here. Someone else, thank you over there. You know, it's your prayer God wants to hear. But if it'll help you, I'll lead you in a prayer. You can pray in your own words. It's not repeating a prayer. It's your sincere prayer to him. But if it'll help you, I'll lead you in a prayer. Would you pray with me right now? In fact, other members of the congregation, would you pray with these and join them as we pray together? Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today. It wasn't an accident. Forgive my sin. Come into my life. Or come back into my life. I want to live for you. Because you died for me. Thank you. Because I know you have forgiven me. And I am your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please?